Hello and welcome to the PG Weekly Podcast. In today's episode, you will hear about a trend happening in today's music from Angel Avalar. Hello to all the music maniacs out there and welcome to Music Mayhem. I'm the host Angel Avalar and today's episode we'll be getting into a trend that's been the case with popular music. We'll be talking about why songs have been getting shorter and shorter and shorter. We'll get into the history of the song Lane Standard, how that was set, how common are these short songs appearing, a bit about how other parts of a song are affected by this trend, how online streaming and royalties pay, and lastly, the future of music as we know it. You can't deny that we've all heard a recent song that sounds incomplete or underdeveloped, and I don't care where you've heard this song, on the radio, as a recommendation, as a trendy TikTok audio, these songs are defining and changing what a hit sounds like. So what is it that's encouraging artists to release shorted music over these years? Well, if you're done with all the confusion and mess going on in the world, or at least at the school, check out PGCC's Tutoring and Writing Center to help you out. Appointments are available in person and through Zoom. Now, for this first segment, before we get into the issue, we need to know the history of how the song length standard was even set. According to Kelsey McKinney, writer for Vox, flat records made between the 1850s to about the 1950s were called 78s. These records spun at 78 revolutions per minute, a revolution being one spin around the record player. And 78s usually had a limited song length to three to four minutes of music. However, a new record was then introduced. In 1949, record label RCA introduced the 45 revolutions per minute record, also called the 45s. And the 45s have many more advantages. The Engineering and Technology History Wiki further explains what difference these 45s meant. Using a 45 disc meant finer and more grooves, making it still be able to hold the same three minutes of music in a record, but the disc can be smaller. The new plastic that was making the 45s, called Vinylite, also helped make the record player make less noise when playing these new discs. These new discs were also cheap to make, and so the 45s became the preferred way for radios to play artist music, which made the three-minute song the standard for promoting American music. Let's talk about how albums now come into play with singles. Back to the wiki, CBS Record Company introduced the 12-inch 33.5 RPM, the long playing record, also called the EP, also called an album, in this case we'll call it the LP. The LP was intended for longer pieces of music, usually in classical music where songs could be up to 20 minutes long without a break. So the norm at this time was that 45s were used to release singles and the LP was used to release albums. Releasing songs one at a time to promote an entire album also became popular, and there was this whole boom in the record industry in the 60s and 70s. Until the CD came along, of course, and that could be its own thing we could talk about, and we will talk about it in future segments, but I do bring up the 78s and 45s because they set the song standard first. But as you'll see soon enough, now there's less people tuning in for the actual album. But let's get back to singles. At this point, right now in music recording history, there's absolutely no limit for how song lengths could go. I mean, think about the biggest artist dropping a 15 minute song just because they wanted to, just because they could, and they can. We understand that back then, artists were working with what they had, so we understand why there's a song limit. But as you're gonna see soon enough, there's also a whole financial motivation amongst these shorter songs. We'll get into it all soon enough. But for this next segment, let's step back and look. 
just how short are these songs getting? In this next segment, we'll talk about song length trends. Florina Zant from Statista found that as of this year, the average length of a song released on the biggest music streaming site, Spotify, was 3 minutes and 17 seconds long, which is only 2 seconds longer than the average length of a song released in 1930. I mean, as a listener, what reason do you have to stream a whole album when you can just listen to your favorite songs through playlists? For a long time, I use YouTube as my main source of music, and there's a lot of ways on there that people can just rip off songs without getting copyrighted, mind you. I mean, they'll even do this with songs that are exclusively performed live, or even leak songs too. And so, with so many ways to listen to both official and unofficial music, that already affects stream numbers alone. But then it also feeds into this bigger problem, with audiences feeling this need to have songs conveniently or looking for convenient ways of obtaining that music. Listeners' attention span has lowered to the point where any songs going over three and a half minutes is just considered boring or worth skipping. So producers have to meet this attention span length. So then let's further look at how common these shorter songs are throughout the years. Brian Clark wrote on Musician Wave that the average length of a song increased by more than 100 seconds between 1950 and 1990, but has decreased by 20 seconds since 2014. Between 2018 and 2019, for example, Billboard Hot 100 songs got, on average, 30 seconds shorter. And we already talked about 45s and 78s, but we didn't get to touch much on CDs, because CDs, they could hold around 80 minutes of music, and it did have an impact on the average length of a song. The average duration of a hit peaked at 1990, going over 4 minutes and 10 seconds. But with online streaming and illegal downloads being a huge problem, this would render CDs useless. And throughout all these changes, the 3 minutes still seems to be the music industry's, I guess you could say, sweet spot for a song length. I mean, you'd have to wonder at this point, is song length the only part of a song affected by what's charting? And that's what we'll talk about in this next segment, Replay Value. What makes a song stick? In this next segment, we're talking about replay value and song structure. According to the National Library of Medicine study, it looked at stuck song syndrome, also known as an extreme case of earworm. And to be clear, this looked at it from a perspective mostly from people with OCD, but it does conclude that a song having replayability are, quote, catchy tunes popping up spontaneously or triggered by emotions, associations, or by hearing the melody, end quote. So with this trigger aspect mentioned in this definition, Think about it. How many iconic intros of a song do you automatically recognize? If I could give you a popular example, Pharrell's production staple, the four beat count, it's short and simple, but it is recognizable. It's been the case with a bunch of hit songs he's produced. Nerds Lemon, Snoop Dogg's Drop It Like It's Hot, even his own song, Happy. So within shorter songs, there's an increased need to find a recognizable sound or melody, one that can catch on quick. But we could also talk about song structure itself and how that's being affected as well. The American Psychological Association wrote about a study that found certain reasons why people experience earworms with certain popular music. They found that these earworm-worthy songs, however you want to call it, they're often repetitive, they have an easy-to-remember melody, they're replayable because they're pretty fast-paced, they also cut out intros, fades, and bridges, and funny enough, they also have an unusual interval structure. 
intervals, in this case being breaks within a song. So this could be a beat drop, this could be a beat switch, something musically different that you'll hear that's obvious within a song. This can include repeated notes or unexpected leaps in notes, which often is a way to add a weird interval or break within a song, and it usually works to balance out the use of repetition. This is commonplace within hip-hop and another genre in what used to dominate radio stations like a decade ago, EDM music as well. With those two genres I just mentioned, they do have their own season on this show. So if you're curious, tune into seasons two and four if you want to hear more about EDM and hip-hop on Music Mayhem. But let's go back. As we said before, a song that's less than three minutes, from what we learned historically, is breaking the traditional three to four minute song release but at what cost? I mean, at this point, we've only talked about how shorter songs are affected mostly from audiences having lower attention spans, but we've yet to look at it from an artist's point of view as well. So with this next segment, we're gonna talk about online streaming and music royalties. In this next segment about online streaming and music royalties and how artists are paid, you'd have to question, are shorter songs just a trend or is it a result of a bigger problem affecting the artists? Let's talk about how artists are compensated. According to Spotify's website, Spotify does pay per stream, but they don't directly pay the artists. How and when the artists are paid, Spotify doesn't have any control or say in that at all. They simply deliver the royalties to whoever legally owns the music. But what are these variations then? I mean, why does it matter who the artist works with in order to get paid? Why is there this differentiation? So let's go back and talk about royalties. Musician Waves' Brian Clark also explained how music royalties work. Music royalties exist basically because of copyright. You as an inventor, in this case, if we're inventing music, you have rights to protect that music with copyright, and you have a right to a monopoly over that music. But if you want to legally collect royalties, you have to do two things. The first thing is to actually record your music. And then the second thing, you'd have to register your creation with the performance rights organization. Or in this case, we'll just call them pros. Pros, they act as the middlemen that communicate between artists and organizations that play their music. So this can include music streaming sites, radios, and so on. As of now, there is no legal guideline or process for how royalty rights are split. And for smaller independent artists, they often have to go through unofficial contracts, granting them less legal rights. After music royalties are calculated by streaming sites, according to Glenn Peoples, a writer for Billboard, record labels will collect the majority of that revenue made from those music streams. They could collect up to 80%, though of course it could defer per company. And then they'll take from that 80% as a calculation to pay their artists and split it. But even then, with a fair percentage decided on, it's not guaranteed that that amount will always be paid. I mean, because then artists will have to pay fees for touring, promoting, marketing, all that. And then the other 20% usually will go to pros, and the pros will split it up amongst publishers and songwriters, especially every time a song is played publicly. And so for independent artists, if they're the ones releasing the music, they can take that 80% of royalties with the other 20% going to the distributor. But, I mean, if you're starting off and you're a small independent artist, that's way less streams. Much of that revenue won't be anything career-changing. And if you're wondering why at this point I'm mostly talking about Spotify, according to Forbes, Spotify controls 31% of the global music streaming market, followed by Apple Music with 15%. 
And we could get into a whole thing about those two giants in the music streaming business. So let me know if you're interested in hearing that. I love to hear interest from my audience as well. It's great when an interest can become more than an interest and turn into a whole career. So unlock your potential and enroll at the Center for Performing Arts here at PGCC. With this last segment, we'll talk about the future of songs and albums. With more and more songs becoming hits and getting shorter by the second, what can we expect from albums? Let's go back to the 80s and CDs. Back then, the attention span of audiences were longer. I mean, music wasn't as accessible as it is today with online streaming. And so back then, you weren't overwhelmed with options. If you wanted to listen to an album, you had to commit to it because essentially you paid for it. Cliff Bernstein, manager of Metallica, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and of other groups, talked to the LA Times in 1991. He said, quote, The price of a CD is about 50% higher than of other formats, so it seems right to have 50% more music. If you go to 60 minutes, that justifies the CD price, as long as it's all quality, end quote. But now, the attention span is much shorter due to the greater accessibility of not just music, but you also have remixes, covers leaks, and piracy, there's more of an emphasis on capturing an audience's attention rather than the content or the length of a song. And yet, albums now are still the same length or just a little bit longer than the common 45 minute to one hour length as is common with CDs. At this point, we slightly touched upon how burning CDs, pirating music, and online streaming decrease CD buying altogether. This, of course, doesn't eliminate digital downloads, but even with more albums available online, according to Ibis World, in 2014, digital album sales fell for the first time at 0.4%, followed by a 6.9% decline in 2015. That same source also concluded the numerous events that went on within this last decade that could affect album sales. I mean, with the 20... What, what was it? The 2008 recession? The average consumer couldn't afford as many luxuries as they wanted to. And the COVID-19 pandemic had less people going in person to buy physical copies. Concerts were also shut down. In-person promotion couldn't be a thing for a while. And with the increased use of social media, it affected our attention spans and rose the usage of online music streaming altogether. And it seems like with more years, album sales will still be dying. Let's give a whole example here. The massive success of Adele's 21, the top-selling album in 2011, had 5.8 million albums sold. 2015, when Adele dropped 25, that sold 8 million albums within that year. She's the only contemporary artist within this last decade to have such a record. And guess who was the highest-selling album in 2021? Adele, with 30. And she only sold 1.4 million in comparison. It just speaks to this need for consumers to have music released as quickly as you can. It's all lowering the quality of music. Many musicians have spoken about how album storytelling, specifically, is a dying art form. As more music drops for the convenience of an audience, only to give an album, or just even a song, temporary love. There's also been a list of artists accused of being industry plants and releasing music just for it to trend online, especially on TikTok. Then it becomes this whole thing of just sorting through a bunch of cookie-cut music to find a decent album or EP at this point. And speaking of TikTok, that's what we'll be talking about in next week's episode of Music Mayhem, social media's impact on the music industry. So if you're excited for all that, stick around for next week, and I'll see you until then. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast was for educational purposes only. The views and opinions that were expressed do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Prince George's Community College, its faculty, its staff, or its affiliates. The PG Weekly is produced by Heavenly Bee, David Smalls, and is executively produced by Dale Roden.